We're going to look at the priesthood in Scripture. So right back in Exodus 19, verse 6, God told Moses that Israel would become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation unto him. So all the way back in Moses' time, God was making very clear promises and statements that one day his people would become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation unto him. 600 years later, uh, Tim was quoting Pastor Bob's talk um, out of Isaiah. Well, in Isaiah 61.6, Isaiah, speaking the words of God, said that one day his people would be named priests of the Lord and men shall call you, or the minister, call the people that are the priests of the Lord, ministers of God. Then in the New Testament, 1 Peter verse 2, sorry, chapter 2 verse 9, Peter writes that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that we should show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvellous light. And then in Revelations 1, 5 and 6, verse 5 and 6, it says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to, be, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So along with our salvation in Jesus Christ comes a very specific title. And with that title, some very specific responsibilities. So those responsibilities relate very much to you and I. And so we're going to just, in the next 25 minutes or so, going to step through what it means to be a priest of God. So who thinks of themselves as a priest? We've got pastors, we've got preachers, we've got teachers, we've got evangelists, we've got drummers, we've got chorus leaders, we've got people that do the lunches, we've got all sorts of different roles and responsibilities, but who thinks of themselves as a priest? Anyone? No? We're all priests. So what is it to be priests? We might have different roles and responsibilities in the church, but all of us are common in our responsibility as priests before God and a holy nation. So the very first priests that Israel, the kingdom of Israel had in the Old Testament started with Moses and his, well, Moses' brother Aaron, who was appointed the first high priest before God. The book of Leviticus is effectively the book that outlines all the law and custom of the priesthood for the kingdom of Israel. So what did priests have to look like in the Old Testament? What did a Levite priest have to look like? Well, first of all, they had to be men, they had to be without blemish, so they had to be good-looking. The, the high priest, which is a very specific role, only came from one very specific family. That was Aaron's family, so the descendants of Aaron, Aaron's sons, were the only ones that were designated before God to become high priests before God. There was instruction about how you would wear your beard. I don't know whether Pastor Bob would qualify or not. How you dressed, where you would go, what you could do, who you could speak to. They were the keepers of 600-plus laws in the Old Covenant. And that was their job to start memorising and remembering all of those different laws that you read about in the book of Leviticus and throughout the Old Testament. The tribe of Levi, the Levites carried the tabernacle and they set it up wherever they went. So we know that the children of Israel were nomadic before he brought them into the, 
promised land. So wherever they went, they, the, it was one specific tribe, the priestly tribe, that would carry the tabernacle and set it up where they set camp. The priests, so these men that, had, that were good-looking and had the right-shaped beard, were allowed to enter into the outer tabernacle. And it was only the high priest that could enter into the inner tabernacle or the holiest of holies. And he could only do that once a year and he'd have to offer sacrifices for himself, for his own sins, for his own imperfections and then to offer up sacrifices for the sins of the people. And this was a continual process. Year on year, day by day, this is what the priesthood had to do. They had to be constantly working to cover the sins of themselves and the sins of the people. Now, does this sound like the priesthood that we've entered into? When you think about yourself as a priesthood, does this sound familiar? It certainly doesn't equate to the priesthood that I understand that I've entered into. Let's just turn to uh, Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, chapter 1. Verse 6 it says, A son honoureth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is my honour? And if I be master, where is my fear, or where is your respect? Says the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name, and you say, wherein have we despised your name? You have offered polluted bread upon mine altar, and you say, wherein have we polluted thee? In that you say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you that offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto the governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person? And says the Lord of hosts, and now I pray you beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. This has been by your means. Will he regard your person, says the Lord of hosts. So just for a little bit of context, this is some 450 years before Jesus would rock up. So the children of Israel had entered into the promised land and you'd had 150 years of judges, maybe a bit more, and then you'd had the kings, King Saul, King David, King Solomon, and then all the following kings, and they kept this process of forgetting their God and worshipping idols, and God would say and warn them regularly, look, if you keep doing this, one day I'll remove you from this promised land. And we know throughout the scriptures and throughout history that that's exactly what happened. First, the northern ten tribes of Israel were taken into captivity and then the southern kingdom of Judah. So it's one stage after Solomon, the two, two kingdoms had split apart. And God had fulfilled his promise that if the children of Israel and the kingdom of Judah had kept sinning, if they kept worshipping idols, that he had removed them from the promised land. When we get to Malachi, as God had promised, he would restore some people back to the promised land. He'd send some people back to Jerusalem. And so after the captivity in Babylon of the, the remnant of uh, Judah and Benjamin, which formed the kingdom of Judah, we see that they were sent back to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem and to rebuild Jerusalem itself. And it was a very exciting time. You can imagine, you know, people like Daniel and others that had lived through the captivity in Babylon and they expected that God would fulfill his promise and send them home. And eventually he saw that promise come to fruition, a remnant of uh, um, people from coming out of Babylon returned to Jerusalem to rebuild. And after a few generations, they're back to where they were before they even left Jerusalem, offering polluted sacrifice to the Lord, being false priests, corrupted priests. 
doing exactly what they'd done before, which caused their separation from the promised land. So it's amazing that that is the nature of man, that without God in our lives, we can only ever offer polluted sacrifice. We can only ever offer polluted offerings to the Lord. It's in our corrupt nature. So the Levitical priesthood were never up to scratch, right from day one, right from when God established Aaron and his sons as the high priest and the tribe of Levi as the priestly tribe. They were never able, able to live up to what God expected and intended to the priestly tribe to be doing. However, and this is the exciting bit for you and I, there is another priestly order that predates the priesthood of Levi. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 14, verse 18, and it says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram, who would later become Abraham. Uh, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which he hath delivered thine enemies into thine hands. And he, that is Abram, gave tithes of all. So Abraham gave 10% of all the, the stuff that he'd accumulated from a very recent victory to this king, Melchizedek, who was the king and high priest of God, king of a place called Salem, which means peace. Come on, Brian, you've got to speak up. I see you whispering it there, chewing on your... Your glasses. So is the hot, he was what we know from these three verses, and this is the only three verses we hear directly about Melchizedek. There's other verses that refer to him. This is the only bit of story that we get to read about him. So we know that he was a king. We know that he was a priest of God. We know that he was from Salem, so the kingdom of peace, which would one day become Jerusalem, city of peace, and that Abraham or Abram at that time, gave him tithes. So you'd only ever give tithes to somebody that was higher than you, that you respected more. So you'd always cede to the the higher power. So Abraham, who would become known as the friend of God, the father of faith, whose relationship we have now entered into, a relationship of faith with God. As it says in Galatians, we take after faithful Abraham, predates the Levitical law, so too we hear about this priest, Melchizedek, who was king of peace, who predates the Levitical law. You with me? This is an amazing parallel. In Psalm 110, verse 1 to 4, it says, The Lord said unto my Lord, remember this is a psalm of David, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of the strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauties of holiness, from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So the significance of these four verses of a song that King David wrote is actually prophecy. So he was writing a song of prophecy. He was acknowledging that there was a Lord his Lord, that sat on the right hand of God. So he's prophesying about Jesus Christ and that Jesus would be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. So he wasn't, he'd bypassed, looking backwards, he'd bypassed the Levitical tribe. 
He'd bypassed Aaron and Aaron's descendants of high priests and gone straight back to this mystery man in in, uh, Genesis 14, Melchizedek, saying that my Lord, the one that would become Jesus Christ, will be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Let's turn to Hebrews 4. And in verse 14, it says, Seeing then, and these are some of my favourite scriptures to read just before taking communion, seeing then that we have a, a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So a, God, a priest that can understand everything that we go through and is still perfect. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Jesus has become our high priest. At his crucifixion, we read in uh, Matthew 27, 50 and 51, verses 50 and 51, it says that when he cried again with a loud voice, he yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent from two, rent in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks broke up. So you can picture, I think my understanding is the veil was really thick, close to a, a foot thick, something like that, thick. It's not something you can tear apart with man's hands. And yet the moment that Jesus died for us, this veil that separated all of us from the holiest of holies in the temple was ripped from the top to the bottom, that all of us now had an opportunity to enter in for ourselves into the holiest of holies and have a very personal and direct relationship with God, no longer having to rely on an imperfect Levitical high priest to go in once a year behind the veil and offer sacrifices for himself and then sacrifices for us. All of that changed the moment Jesus Christ fulfilled the prophecy that King David had given back in Psalm 110. In that moment, he revealed himself as that great high priest after the order of Melchizedek that had been promised to us right back when we read those scriptures um, where Moses was told that we'd become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation amazingly fulfilled the moment Jesus Christ died for our sakes. Hebrews 5, verse 1 to 6, it says, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way? And for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. So the priest himself is just as fallible as you and I. And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honour unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So you can't appoint yourself high priest. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. And he said, and he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now in Hebrews, in the letter to the Hebrews, whoever's written the letter, it said five times, there's five references to Jesus being 
after, Milk, after the order of Melchizedek, that he is the fulfilment of the, all those prophecies. Five times it repeats that Jesus is from the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews 7, verse 1 to 4, it says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having ne neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. So now on indulgence, I'm going to read out of the Amplified a number of verses in uh, Matthew 7 from verse 11 to 28. It's about a page of reading. So I'm going to ask you to, if you feel comfortable, close your eyes and just con concentrate on what I'm reading. And I want you to understand that the words that I'm reading refer to you as a priest before God after the order of Melchizedek. So I'm reading verse, chapter 7, verse 11 to 28, straight out of the Amplified. Now if perfection, a perfect fellowship between God and the worshipper, had been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for under the people were given the law, what further need was there for another and different kind of priest to arise? One in the manner of Melchizedek rather than one appointed to the order of Aaron. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is of necessity a change of the law concerning the priesthood as well. For the one whom these things are said belonged not to the priestly line of Levi, but to another tribe from which no one has officiated or served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord descended from the tribe of Judah. And Moses mentioned nothing about priests in connection with that tribe. And this becomes even more evident if another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a physical and legal requirement in the law concerning his ancestry as a descendant of Levi, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible and endless life. For it is attested by God of him, you, Christ, are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For on one hand, a former commandment is cancelled because of its weakness and uselessness, because of its inability to justify the sinner before God. For the law never made anything perfect, while on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we now continually draw near to God. And indeed, it was not without the taking of an oath that Christ may, was made priest. For those Levites who formerly became priests received their office without its being confirmed by taking of an oath. But this one, Jesus, was designated with an oath through the one, God, who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind or regret it. You, Christ, are a priest forever. And so... Because of the oath's greater strength and force, Jesus has become the certain guarantee of a better covenant, a more excellent and more advantageous agreement, one that will never be replaced or annulled. 
The former successive line of priests, on the one hand, existed in greater number because they were each prevented by death from continuing, continuing perpetually in office. But on the other hand, Jesus holds his priesthood permanently and without change because he lives on forever. Therefore, he, Jesus, is able to save forever, completely, perfectly, for eternity, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede and intervene on their behalf with God. It was fitting for us to have such a high priest, perfectly adapted to our needs, holy, blameless, unstained by sin, separated from sinners and exalted higher than the heavens, who has no day-to-day need like those high priests to offer sacrifices first of all for his own personal sins and then for those of the people, because he, Jesus, met all the requirements and did this once for all when he offered up himself as a willing sacrifice. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, frail, sinful, dying men. But the word of the oath of God, which came after the institution of the law, permanently appoints as priest a son who has been made perfect forever. Amen. I know I did a bit of reading there, but I just thought it spells it out so wonderfully, the difference between man's priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, with all its imperfections and inability to bridge the gap, and this perfect priesthood that we follow and have now become priests under. So we are now, all of us, male and female, beardless and bearded, good-looking and not-so-good-looking, all priests of the order of Jesus Christ forever and ever. We follow a perfect high priest who has made intercession for us. You don't have to be a pastor to be a priest. You don't have to be a man. You don't have to be from Aaron's family. You don't even have to be a Levite. Anyone here identify as a Levite? No? You must all be born again. All of us must be born again, receiving God's Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, to enter into this priesthood. And the moment you do, you don't really get a choice, to, choice about your profession any longer. So while, I'll say it again, we all might have different roles and responsibilities. We have pastors, we have teachers, Sunday school teachers, whatever it is. All of us are now priests and you don't get a choice. And as Abraham is the ultimate example of a faithful friendship with God that predates the law of sin and death, so does Melchizedek predate the Levitical priesthood that could never bring salvation to the people. With Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, we have come back to that possibility now, which is amazing. So just to wrap up, I want to list three things that we are called to do as priests before God. The first one in 1 Peter 2 verse 5. Just over a few pages from Hebrews. 1 Peter 2 verse 5 it says, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So as priests we are required to offer up spiritual sacrifices In Romans 12 verse 1 it says that we are to become a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable. So where Jesus laid down his physical life for us, he died for us, we now have to live for him. It's a bit nicer on the body having to live for Jesus than having to die. Jesus has done the dying, we now get to do the living in him. And in our living, we live for him and we offer up spiritual sacrifices. That's number one. Number two, if you read 1 Corinthians 6, you and I have been made part of the temple of God. So as priests and as part of the temple, we have to look after this temple. We, we are now holders in our bodies of the holiest of holies. We have instant access to Jesus Christ. So we've got to look after the temple, both individually, our individual responsibility, and to this collective family of God, this house of God, this temple of God that we, we have now become part of. So read 1 Corinthians 6 for homework. So we are now keepers of the temple and the tabernacle. Just as the Levitical priests were, well, we're doing something that lasts forever. And then the third one is also in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says in verse 18, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So we are now, as priests in the order of Jesus Christ, reconcilers. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. So we offer spiritual sacrifices, we keep the temple, and we, we now are ministers of reconciliation, reconcilers. So to conclude, when you were born again, you become part of a royal and eternal priesthood. It doesn't matter who you were before. It doesn't matter what you look like, what gender you are. If you have been sealed with the promise, the Holy Spirit, you are now a priest before God. Unlike the Levitical priesthood, we have Jesus working through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the buck doesn't stop with us. Thankfully, we have Jesus to rely on and call upon. And in fact, that's how it works best. The more we draw upon Jesus, the more we rely on him, call upon him, the better priests we are. It's like the ultimate delegation. We just keep delegating everything over to Jesus. That's, that's what he wants. That is you fulfilling your priesthood. Hand it over to Jesus Christ. Don't get caught up, and we can do it even as spirit-filled sons and daughters. Don't get caught up offering polluted sacrifice and service. Pastor Dave mentioned... You know, it's okay to question God or ask questions of God as long as you're coming with a humble heart. Well, one way to offer polluted sacrifice and polluted service is to have pride in your heart. We now offer a living sacrifice. We are keepers of the temple and we are ministers of reconciliation between God and the world. So the things that we've now become part of, we now have a responsibility to share it with those that don't have it yet. It's a wonderful commission. And I think the more that we collectively and individually look into our responsibilities and the promises that we hold as priests, we're going to have a great 2018, both individually and as a church, wherever we happen to be. Amen.